You are listening to Aldrin Sampia on SAFM. In conversation next with John Steenhazen, the leader of the Democratic Alliance, who recently launched its 2024 voter registration campaign ahead of next year's election. During the launch, the party leader, John Steenhazen, urged 14 million South Africans who are not registered to vote to register so that they can rescue South Africa. But what else is their campaign offering and how is it unique from the previous campaigns? John Steenhazen now joining us on the line. John, good evening. Thank you so much for making time for us. Good to be with the listeners. So tell us more about um, the campaign, of course, the first voter registration weekend taking place um, next month. But what is it that you think would actually spur the electorate on, especially those who are not registered, to it's, actually it's, go out to, to register and vote? Feel the situation facing the country. I think it's the issue of load shedding that is uh, the um, main issue that's driving uh, the economic decline in the country. Um, unemployment, and obviously the fact that uh, service delivery has declined to such degree that many, many people who may not have been interested in politics are now realizing that politics affects every bit of their daily life and that they have to be part of that solution. Do you think that you're able to communicate that message uh, more succinctly so that um, the audience, and at least the electorate as well, um, understand what is meant by how politics affect every aspect of your life and decisions that are being taken by politicians that is going to affect whether or not when you open your tap, there's going to be running water? Well, every one of those decisions ultimately comes back to politics. Uh, As you've seen, it's the political decisions and political policies that have led to the load-shedding crisis that we face in the country. Decisions made 10, 15 years ago are now... Uh, reaping the consequences of uh, of those decisions. The same with watershedding and the lack of uh, infrastructure maintenance and decisions on spending on rolling out more infrastructure. These are all political decisions. So while there are a, a large group of people, 14 million people who've sat out the last election are registered and 13 million who are not registered at all uh, have, you know, of main, their main thrust has been, well, I'm not interested in politics because it doesn't affect my life. But that is not borne out by the fact that, in fact, every single decision, every single problem we said, whether it's unemployment, whether it's crime, has a political genesis. Uh, and the solutions lie in fixing the politics. We can't fix the economy. We can't fix infrastructure unless we fix the politics uh, first. And has the DA looked into that lack of confidence um, that the people have in, in, the political, in the political party process, at least now, um, and also what informs them, what informs that, and whether the opposition itself is also complicit in leading to that lack of confidence in the party political system? Well, I would say that there's a, a variety of substrata those groupings. There's a grouping uh, who don't believe that their vote matters, that the ANC was always going to win, and therefore uh, it was just the majority and the size of the majority that mattered. Uh, they now have a clear path to victory, a uh, potential path to victory through the multi-party charter, and so they should be incentivized to come out and vote. Um, then there's another group who, who've said, as I've uh, already articulated, that politics doesn't affect them in their lives, and I think that the last three years has shown very clearly that politics can reach now into your home and switch off your water, switch off your electricity into your business, into your side hustle to really affect its ability to operate. And so uh, I think that the compelling case that needs to be made is that there is an alternative. Is the opposition complicit? No, I don't think so. I think that being able to set out very clearly a stall 
uh, where the opposition has been able to get into power and govern, particularly where, for instance, we've been given our own majority, uh, we are beating things like load shedding. We're fighting uh, crime. We're creating safer communities. We're being able to ensure that people have access to decent services and setting out that example. And I think going into the next election, that is going to be one of the compelling uh, alternatives that's put on the table is that we don't need to tell people what we're going to do. We can show people uh, where we've been given the opportunity to govern that although things aren't perfect, they're certainly a lot better than they are in other areas of the country not governed by parties like the DA. Yeah, and the reason that I also asked the question around the complicity of of the opposition, and now you mentioned when the opposition then takes over or through a coalition even, um, is the case of the city of Tuan and the Reval water treatment system because there also that contract was awarded to a company that clearly didn't have all of the necessary requirements um, to run the project, and that was under the leadership of uh, the Democratic Alliance's-led coalition. So, so, so there must be some level of accountability that the opposition also takes for the state that the country is in. No, not at all. It long predates any of the opposition administration. It began under the ANC administration, and obviously, it's been a tangled mess that we've had to try and manage the very, very difficult Okay, John, we have John back on the line. Yeah. So, John, you were still explaining um, the issue around the Rayval treatment um, treatment plant. And as I pointed out, that contract was awarded in 2018, and this was under the DA-led coalition government. Well, it originally was not issued under the DA-led government. Uh, the Rayval treatment works was a long sorry saga that goes back uh, almost eight years and began under the previous administrations led by Mr. Sputler Ramakhoba, where the real problem started. We obviously inherited a lot of those problems, and it has been compounded by the fact that the municipality lost almost a year in terms of the progress it was making when it was placed under administration unlawfully by the um, by the provincial government. We spent almost a year in court trying to have that uh, that illegal administration overturned, which we successfully were able to do so. But it's also a fact of, and the, the reason why we sit with major infrastructure problems is it's years and years of lack of spending on infrastructure. Budgets that have been cut for the so-called invisible services like water, sanitation, electricity. Uh, municipalities have redirected those maintenance budgets and infrastructure budgets to uh, luxurious projects, uh, glamorous projects, nice to have, rather than focusing on those basics. And that has obviously led to a huge backlog around the country with infrastructure. And it's why cities like the uh, Cape Town's uh, DLA administration Okay, no, we, we, we're struggling with that with that line with John. Uh, John, we'll try to see if we can pick up the conversation maybe on another day as well. Just a couple of issues that I wanted to raise as well when it comes to the multi-party charter and also building confidence um, around it, seeing that uh, the IFP, for instance, have now conceded as um, that interview that I had with Velengosi in Klabisa who said that um, ex- accepted that it's not cast in stone, that the decision that was taken by the multi-party charter parties is that um, they will not work with the IFP sorry, they will not work with the EFF and they will not work with the ANC. So the ANC being barred from participating with any of those political parties. However, though, Velengosi Tlabisa, after the youth brigade of the IFP, said that a decision was taken by the NEC of the IFP that the door must remain open to work with any political party post the 2024 election.